Turkey Call All Access, the official podcast of the National Wild Turkey Federation. Brought to you by Nomad. Turkey Call All Access is a digital campfire where we discuss topics of the day, conservation efforts, tips and techniques to better your experience of field, and our members' stories. Welcome back to another episode of the Turkey Call All Access Podcast. In this episode, we're covering another research project. This one coming to you out of Kansas, looking at food resources and also looking at a technique called DNA metabarcoding. We'll get into that. We'll get into the details in 90 seconds. Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com conservation. Hey guys, this is Aaron with The Hunting Public. Each spring, we head to the woods chasing turkeys, and one overlooked product that we use religiously is Sawyer permethrin. We've used it for years to keep ticks off of us, and it's worked extremely well. We don't like messing around with Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, anything like that. So I would highly recommend, if you're a spring turkey hunter, spending any time in warmer climates in the outdoors to use Sawyer permethrin. Learn about their advanced insect repellents and family of technical lightweight water filters at Sawyer.com. Hey, y'all, I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunt. And clothing. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you. Yeah, well, uh, first off, how was Montana? I, I bet that was pretty awesome. Oh, it was great. I'm uh, I'm still a little bit beat from it. We uh, we hiked in about 26 miles. It ended up being or and fished on the South Fork of the Flathead River. Uh, wow. My fiance and I, and I think she still wants to marry me, so I think that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we uh, we caught a bunch of cutthroat trout and. Um, took the dogs with us. I've got a German wire hair pointer and she's got a, a Catahoula and they carried their own dog food and we, we hiked in and yeah, it was, it was, it was an adventure. It was about five days, two days to hike in and spend a whole day fishing and two days out. So yeah, it was a, it was a lot of fun. I'd recommend it. Yeah. Good good break before you start uh, getting ready to trap a bunch of turkeys, right? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess you want you mind just kind of kicking things off with um, just a brief introduction of yourself and um, just your kind of history and experience working with wildlife, wild turkeys, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, you're you're more of a uh, like a habitat vegetative structure specialist, so to speak, right? Yeah, I'm kind of. I guess I'm I'm more on the side of. Uh, yeah, like a habitat person, um, landscapes, ecology type person. Uh, so yeah. Is this your first project with wild turkeys? Yes, it is. Awesome. So 
Yeah, I uh, I guess some background on myself. So I grew up in Texas, um, and I, I got my bachelor's of science at Texas A&M University. Uh, then I went and worked a variety of technician jobs. So I've, I've I've actually worked some in fisheries and some in wildlife and um, some. I worked for the Forest Service for a while and, and wildland fire just as a technician. And then I came back and decided I want to get my master's at Stephen F. Austin State University in East Texas, yeah. um, which they've, they've done a lot of turkey research. I, I kind of was able to, to observe some of the tail end of that, but um, unfortunately not much of the field work um, with Warren Conway there yeah. uh, and Jason Isbell. And then, um, uh, then I, I, I started a PhD at Kansas State University in 2014. I'm working with lesser prairie chickens, and um, you know, there's been so much interest in lesser prairie chickens um, with their listing and unlisting and relisting. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's taken up uh, <clears throat> most of my research time and, and efforts, um, which. Yeah which has been really, really, really great opportunity. Uh, that was a really big project throughout, you know, five study sites in Kansas and Eastern Colorado. Um, did a lot of work on kind of looking at, at landscapes that would be most likely to provide habitat for prairie chickens and, and, and figuring out ways to conserve them um, strategically. So you know, I'm hoping we can do I can apply a lot of those same tools to wild turkeys, and I'm really excited to to work with turkeys. I I, I enjoy hunting them. I'm not an an expert in in hunting them or anything like that, but I, I do enjoy them. I I really enjoy uh, learning yeah. more about their habitat, and um, excited to get out. So we'll. I currently. I'm a professor now. I'm an assistant professor at Kansas State University in <clears throat> horticulture and natural resources. Um, and a lot of my work revolves, my research revolves around um, grass and bird conservation, um, upland game bird research. And uh, you know, I, I started in 2019, so I'm still fairly new to the game. Um, my teaching focuses on we have a, a kind of a unique program here at K-State called the Wildlife Outdoor and Enterprise Management Program. And uh, so we teach classes that, that help train students to um, do a lot of wildlife management, a lot of hands-on um, kind of habitat and harvest management related activities, really applied stuff. Um, and those students also get some training in business um, and hospitality. So they're really trained to go on and work as hunting guides or outfitters, but also um, habitat managers and, and things like that. So it's, it's kind of a unique program that we have here. That's awesome. Um, do you happen to, you just, you mentioned Texas A&M and um, I had spoken with Dr. Grisham, uh, I think last year, and I think they do something similar uh, there. Were you a part of that as an undergrad? Uh, the uh, well, I was a part of the wildlife and fishery science program at A and M, which has recently changed. Um, now they have a 
ecology and evolutionary program and a range and wildlife science program. So I'm not really. Gotcha. Um, yeah, there was something. It was similar to what you're saying, just like a unique experience where you give kind of the hands-on and, and wildlife management. And I just didn't know if you you partook in that as an undergrad. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm just curious. I'm just wondering. But um, yeah, yeah. No, that was a great. It was a great program at A&M. I know Grisham teaches at Texas Tech. I know him really well too, and they do they do some really awesome. That's what I'm thinking of. That's what I'm thinking of. Sorry. <laughs> uh, hands-on wildlife techniques course, which is great. And I actually have gone down there and observed that. Yeah, no, yeah, that's that's a great program for sure. Gotcha. So, that's what I guess. Sorry about that. No, no, I appreciate uh, it. Cool. Well, it sounds like you kind of, you know, just through your past experience, it kind of led you up, you know, to to this moment with wild turkeys and um you know i've been writing the article i'm excited to share it with you and and kent here soon but um you know i have a a fair understanding of it but i kind of wanted to know what spawned it uh the need for this study and um if you want to just kind of give me a summary of uh of the project because kansas i understand uh, the pulse per hen 2021 1.2 1.4 so it's my understanding that you need two pullets per hen for a staining population, let alone a growing one. And so this is sort of to get to to an aspect of that. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, and I'm trying to, yeah. So the, the whole pullet survival aspect of wild turkey has been shown to be really important, both from, you know, looking at really detailed studies where we have marked wild turkeys, we're, we're monitoring them throughout the entire year. Um, and it, it's been shown that that overall population growth of those populations is really important. Um, and also at really large scales, like you mentioned, um, you know, in Kansas, maintaining, you know, greater than two poults per hen um, is going to be really important, um, not only for the reproduction and survival, but also to, to have enough of a population to have sustainable harvest. Um, so what we've kind of done, um, and the, the thing about this project, so it's a very large project um, where we're gonna be span out um, among three study areas in Kansas. Um, so if you look at Kansas and you look at wild turkeys in Kansas, you know, we have uh, Eastern, wild turkeys we also have rio grande wild turkeys um there's a there's just a little bit of miriams um in the far southwestern portion of the state uh, but mostly we have easterns and rio grands and then we've got kind of a hybrid zone in the middle mm-hmm. um and we've got um you know in kansas in the far eastern portion of the state uh you get a about um you know well, a substantial amount of greater precipitation than you do in the far western portion of the state, um, and we you get a, you start to get more into the eastern deciduous forest in the eastern portion of the state, and you're in the, the short grass prairie and the high plains uh, in the far western portion of the state. So that this this piece that that NWTF is funding is going to really build upon what we're doing among three study areas, one in the the eastern portion of the range, 
um, and then two more in the, the Rio Grande portion of the range um, and the further western portions of the state. So, so that, that study that, that Kansas Wildlife and Parks has funded, um, we're trying to get just some ideas of overall demographic performance of the populations um, and then looking at, at how those, the population ecology of, of wild turkeys may vary at each of those three study sites. And to really use that information to pinpoint what may be limiting. For example, you know, roost habitat may be more limiting in, in far western Kansas uh, than in eastern Kansas. And then also, you know, there might be some differences in, in limitations of nesting habitat. Uh, but uh, we'll be out there, we'll be marking adult turkeys. Um, you know, in January and February and, and maybe into March uh, with GPS transmitters, we'll be following them. And then we'll be going out and we'll be monitoring poults and we'll likely be marking um, some of those poults with really small transmitters to get finer detail on them. Um, and we'll be plugging that all into to big population modeling effort uh, to, to see how each of these study areas um, how birds at each of these study areas are doing. Um, so it's kind of that portion of the study is kind of just a general, hey, this this is where you know, we're seeing these these declines. This is what might be limiting at these broad landscape scales surrounding each of these study sites. Uh, but but where the the funding from National Wild Turkey Federation is going to come in, and it's going to be really important, is that it's it's allowing us to to look with a finer lens um, within this poult survival or, or poult um, rearing period, which you know we we presume very strongly is very important for turkeys, you know, throughout the nation um, and even in Kansas. And I think there's lots of implications that that'll come from this research that'll be important, you know, within Kansas. Um, but even at a national level, because um, the landscapes we experience in Kansas, you know, we've got um, some areas where you have a lot of row crop agriculture. Uh, we have some areas that, that have a fair amount of timber, some areas where it may be over mature, where it's even shaded out. There's some of that herbaceous community underneath. Um, we have uh, native grasslands and the Flint Hills and, and in a large portion of the state, but also in the far eastern portion of the state, you know, some of our grasslands are, are more have been converted to tall fescue. Um, so I, I think, you know, just being in the center of the country, um, there, there's some of these landscape factors that, that are going to be applicable um, kind of to the east and further to the west. Uh, so that's that's kind of the, the big picture setup for this study. Um, what we're going to look at with the poults and what what I what I'm really interested in and really curious about is uh, you know getting really detailed information on what those poults are eating um, and what they're eating early on and and in, in their lives. So this this is a period that that's really hard to study. Um, 
you know, it's hard to get large sample sizes of poults to even study. Uh, you know, if you have, you know, 30 to 40% nest survival and you start with 10 nests, you know, you're, you're already dropping down to, to three, um, you know, poults uh, with hens that you can follow or three groups of poults with hens that you can follow. Um, so, but the approach that we're using will be really unique in that you know, we can go out, we can find the hens that are wearing their GPS transmitters. Um, we could potentially find the marked poults that will have small VHF transmitters. Um, we can find where, where they're roosting at night um, and go out really early in the morning, um, collect fecal samples from both the hens and those poults. And then we can use some of these recent advances in, in genetic um, and molecular procedures to look at um, what those poults are eating um, based on the, the DNA uh, in those fecal samples. So there's, there's a lot of really advanced lab methods and, and procedures that go into that. Um, and we will be working with Jonah Ventures, who have some really expert um, folks that can sequence, um, extract, and amplify and sequence that DNA. Um, and then we can use that sequence information to link it to um, certain important foods, um, certain important insects, particularly during this period, um, which are going to be really important for those poults um, and really important for, for getting those poults, um, you know, to, to be recruited into the population. So so that that's kind of our, our study right now. Um, and I think because we'll be doing... Uh, a lot of habitat work will have a lot you know right now we've got three graduate students that'll be working on the project um, at each of the, the three study sites and then we'll have uh, several seasonal and, and at least one full-time technician at each site um, that'll be going out and measuring several different vegetation characteristics at each of those sites um, we'll have like very strong habitat data that we can then link um, what those poults are eating to the vegetative community um, and to the landscape uh, and see, you know, which areas may have, you know, more abundant um, or more important food resources uh, that these turkeys really need. And I think that the unique point of this is, you know, you can kind of study wildlife by, by going out and trying to, you know, if we were trying to, to sample diet throughout the entire year, it would probably be pretty overwhelming. But we're really trying to, to focus in on this period, which, you know, is a, a pretty significant population bottleneck for wild turkeys is uh, looking at poult survival and food resources available to these poults. So, Will you be looking at uh, like hen foraging too, like during her nest while she's nesting? Yeah, we'll look at hen foraging as well. So, um, you know, we've done this work with prairie chickens, right? And and you know when those those uh, 
hens are w- with their chicks, always prairie chickens, um, right? You could tell for the, the first few weeks of life, you know, those those uh, hen fecal samples were much bigger um, than the chick fecal samples. So we could get some idea of what the hen was eating um, and the chicks were eating. So. Yeah, because yeah, I assume that, you know, while she's nesting, that's, you know, um, not as important for recruitment as the, the poults getting forage, but I'm sure that's also a critical time period as well. Exactly, yeah. So the hen survival during that period, um, you know, is also had a, a really important, um, well, I guess another population bottleneck for turkeys, right? Yeah. Hen survival during that period, she's extremely vulnerable. Um, spending a lot of time on the ground with that, that those poults instead of roosting, um, you know, in trees at night, um, you know, the, those poults, when they first hatch, you know, they can't maintain their own body temperature. Um, so that they really need that, that hen there with her brooding patch to keep them warm. Um, and it takes a lot of energy. Um, for that hen to, to keep them alive. So she becomes really vulnerable to other predators. And if you look at almost all the research, it shows that, you know, hen survival during during nesting and poult um, rearing um, really decreases. So Yeah. Yeah, and that kind of, I had a question. I just was wondering if you could kind of speak to the importance of the first 14 days or so that from from hatching to to being, you know, in a flighted stage, just how, how crucial those are to to increasing a population in a sense. Right. Yeah. So so poult survival during the first two weeks of life uh, is just really critical um, to that that overall population being stable or, or to to be to, to increasing in size. Um, and those chicks are extremely vulnerable and we, you know, when you look at all, and not just wild turkeys, when you look at basically, you know, all upland game birds, that's, that's a really critical period for them. Um, wild turkey poults are precocial. Um, they're born, they're, they're hatched with natal down on their bodies with eyes open. Um, and they need to move out of that, that nest that's on the ground in that, that first two weeks of life. Where there's a lot of scent that can attract a lot of predators. They need to move and they need to quickly find food resources. So if there's not an abundance of high quality food resources nearby, um, you know, it's kind of this interaction. A lot of times people focus on predation during this period, um, but, but a lot of it's also, you know, probably bound in this interaction with, with the habitat. If there's more food nearby, they don't have to move as much potentially. Um, and also they can move through that, that two-week period, um, putting on more body mass, um, likely molting feathers um, more easily and more quickly, um, and getting through that population bottleneck or survival bottleneck is really critical um, to their survival and to the survival of the population overall. Um, so we're really interested in, in really looking at that life stage of that f- first two weeks of life um, through, you know, kind of a magnifying lens and, and getting some some really high resolution information on what they're eating during these periods and what's available uh, in these landscapes in Kansas. 
Definitely. Uh, yeah, I can imagine, you know, every day is important. And if you have the, uh, you know, the forage that can give you one day advance to get up in the tree that, you know, anything's going to help in that sense. Um, right. The, uh, Dr. Solons, I was wondering, um, you know, I don't know whether there's any studies or anecdotally, but is there any evidence or, you know, anecdotal evidence that insect availability is decreasing in Kansas? And, and is it there may be a link and changes in land use, or is there kind of, was that maybe a, a point that kind of started this study, this aspect of the study as well? Yeah, so there, I don't know of any studies specifically in Kansas um, documenting declines. Uh, well, actually, I take that back. I believe there is, there was a study showing um, declines, at least in grasshopper, uh, abundance out at the Kansas study area, um, which is just down the road from from Kansas State University here in Manhattan, Kansas, mm-hmm. uh, and they've shown some declines, um, and some of that has been driven by changes in the nutritional quality of those grasses. Um, so, and you know, have been linked to some of these large kind of global changes that we're experiencing. Um, There has been a lot of research that has shown at more of like global scale um, that that arthropod abundances, that would include insects, but also, uh, you know, things like spiders and such have declined um, and have declined in some of these agricultural matrices. Um, so, So that is definitely a concern. That's a concern here. There's some concern on you know, maybe being a little bit wiser in use of uh, herbicides and insecticides, um, which, you know, are really important to to maintaining a stable, you know, global food security for for humans, um, but also kind of trying to figure out if there's ways we can be smarter about using those um, and if there might be any potential impacts of those on wild turkeys, I don't think we we may be able to get into some of that. But but right now, um, I think the first step is really looking at what's out there, um, looking at how that's impacting turkeys, um, and looking at you know what they they really need during these critical life stages. Awesome. And and so the study, I mean, just kind of in that same vein, the study will be looking at like different vegetative structures, some that might have, you know, that might be agricultural, that might use some of these kinds of practices uh, that you'll be able to include in the study, correct? Yeah, yeah, we will, we will be able to include that. Um, yeah, we will, you know, our we're still finalizing some of our study sites and, and, you know, it's, we've been chatting directly with, you know, our, the state Turkey committee and, and Kent Fricky, um, small game coordinator for the state that does a lot of, uh, the Turkey management and setting regulations and, and he's a Turkey expert. Um, and we have been, uh, looking at really being trying to, to think out where to place these study sites to where we're going to sample, you know, landscapes that involve some row crop agriculture, uh, have, you know, some grassland or rangeland component, um, and also have the the requisite, you know, woody, woody covered component. And to some degree, I mean, the turkeys do that 
on their own, right? Because they need a little bit of each of those. So um, I think, you know, one thing that, that is interesting about turkeys and and that they kind of, you know, they are a landscape species. They they need a little bit of each of those components. You know, they, they are a good species to study for, for looking at these bigger picture questions related to wildlife um, and some of these working landscapes. So yeah, I think we will be able to look at that a little bit. Um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, we always, you know, hope that, that you can go out and do research and that'll be the end all be all. But I'm hoping that this will spur um, some more, you know, detailed questions um, at finer scales related to those certain management practices that, that may um, be better for um, turkeys and, and turkey foraging and, and therefore, you know, ultimately providing better habitat for insects and other arthropods, you know, with declines in monarchs and things like that, you know, there, there's there's some bigger picture stuff going on that, that I think, uh, you know, wild turkeys are definitely tied into. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully we can make some linkages to that. Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com conservation. Hey guys, this is Aaron with The Hunting Public. Each spring we head to the woods chasing turkeys and one overlooked product that we use religiously is Sawyer permethrin. We've used it for years to keep ticks off of us and it's worked extremely well. We don't like messing around with Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, anything like that. So I would highly recommend if you're a spring turkey hunter spending any time in warmer climates in the outdoors to use Sawyer permethrin. Learn about their advanced insect repellents and family of technical lightweight water filters at Sawyer.com. Hey y'all, I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you. Dr. Sullivan, just to shift gears a little bit, you know, you mentioned talking about examining the um, the fecal samples of folks and hens uh, through advances in uh, in DNA, uh, what is called DNA metabarcoding. I was wondering if you could just kind of define that, what that is, and, and how it'll be used uh, in the study. Right. So, so DNA metabarcoding, um, it's it's just a spin on you know, kind of. Your classic DNA sampling. So, so if you were to go out, um, you know, there's a lot of research on wild turkeys, and and that that you know, folks have contributed to where where you take a feather from the bird, um, you send it to a research. They look at the DNA in that feather, um, and we can be begin to look at changes in that that DNA structuring. Um, and look at questions like differences between Eastern and Rio Grande wild turkeys and things like that. 
Um, but but this meta barcoding approach, um, you know, how that works is a, it's a little bit different in that, you know, we'd collect fecal samples. Um, they can first amplify the, the DNA in that, that fecal sample. So, so there's new techniques, um, next generation sequencing. Um, and I'd like to specify that I'm, I'm not an expert in, in the, the whole um, wet analyses. And we work directly with Jonah Ventures in the past on all these, um, but I, I do handle um, a lot of the analyses on the back end. Um, but they're able to, to take some of that those fecal samples amplify the DNA, um, extract it, sequence it out, um, and then we can look at certain regions of that DNA that are that are known to be um, very conserved within species. Um, so, for instance, within a lot of vertebrates, um, there's a region of the DNA that that's the same, basically, uh, among among all animals and within a species, but varies a lot among different species. Uh, so, so you can look at that region, you can extract that region, um, and then you can take that data. You can then go to these uh, databases that, that maintain um, all of those sequences among all different animals. Um, there's one really big database called the Barcode of Life, to where they, they have all of these sequence variants of that that region of DNA, and you can say, you know, we're about 97% sure that that this sequence variance matches, like for instance, uh, you know, this species of grasshopper. And we can say turkeys are eating that grasshoppers. So that's kind of how it works. It's using all that metadata to then go back and figure out um, what these turkeys are, are eating based on the DNA um, in their fecal samples. So it's really a cool approach because um, like what we found with, with lesser prairie chickens um, and some of our research was, you know, we... We always knew that grasshoppers were really important for a lot of these birds. Um, and when you think about, you know, even turkeys, right, you probably assume they're going to eat a lot of grasshoppers as well, um, living, you know, in these grassy areas, um, relying on these herbaceous communities uh, for habitat. Uh, but, but what we were able to find with them was that all, they also feed very heavily on Lepidoptera, um, so if you think of Lepidoptera, that includes moths, butterflies, um, and they all have little caterpillars of, as larvae. So when you think about a little bitty chick, a two-day-old colt or um, upland game bird chick, you know, it's going to be, it may be a lot easier for them to feed on a little caterpillar, um, and it may be more nutritious for them to feed on that. And if you, you go back and you think about that and you look at some of these old, you know, studies on, on what birds were eating, um, those, those soft-bodied food resources like caterpillars are going to get smashed, they're going to get squished, they're going to get digested really quickly. Um, so those didn't really, you know, based on kind of the historic methods of, of diet studies where you're going in, you're looking at the crop or you're looking at the fecal sample when you're dissecting it, um, those may not be as well represented 
using those approaches as if you were to go and just look at the DNA in those fecal samples. So that's that's one thing, you know, it's non-invasive. Uh, you don't have to, to kill a poult to, to look at their diet. If we can just collect their fecal sample and see um, what's in that fecal sample based on the DNA. Um, so we can, And we can also continue to, to monitor, you know, those poults and look at how their diet changes as they get older. Um, so there's a lot of really exciting um, benefits from, from this new approach. That's awesome, Dr. Stone. And I guess I got just one last question is, you know, ultimately, you know, when you, when you get that information and you pair it with the different types of vegetation, vegetative structures, uh, it can potentially have benefits for, for how we manage wild turkeys and, and their habitats. You want to just kind of speak on like the potential benefits that might come from this? Yeah, I, I think that, I think some of the, the potential benefits from this would be um, you know, highlighting the importance of, you know, it's kind of hard to, to exactly see, you know, how this could be used right now. But I think, you know, the importance of early successional habitat and what I mean, you know, for the most part by early successional habitat is going to be areas that have uh, a lot of herbaceous vegetation, you know, your grasses and your forbs. Um, you know, and for thinking about timber stand improvement efforts, you know, if we're going in and we're thinning out the basal area in a timber stand, you're going to increase the amount of herbaceous cover there. Um, if we're thinking about, uh, you know, areas on the edges of, of crop fields, you know, if we can promote more buffers in those areas. Or if we can get in and, and do some edge feathering and things like that, that is going to kind of reduce that hard edge where you're going right from, you know, for example, planted corn to, you know, mature 100% closed canopy forests. I, I think those are two things that, that I, I, I think this, this will highlight. Um, beyond that, you know, there, there could be very specific plants that are more reliably providing um, invertebrate food resources. You know, I, I anticipate that it's going to really show that, you know, it's not just certain plants. It's going to be more of having a diversity uh, of those, those plant species that's going to really promote and abundant and reliable food resources for these poults um, among years. So, so those are a couple examples that, that I think will be really important. You know, we could also uh, potentially show some benefits of, you know, native warm season grasses versus um, introduced pastures where you have tall fescue. That kind of depends on um where those poults go and, and how they use the landscape. So I'm, I'm really excited to, to see, you know, what they use and, and what they're eating, eating in these different landscapes and, and build upon that. And, uh, you know, to me, having implications for management, you know, is, is the most important aspect. I really like working in these applied situations and really like providing results that, that you know, can be, be used to, to benefit um, wild turkeys and other wildlife.
That's awesome. And uh, one last thing, Dr. Sullen. So um, would there be the opportunity for us to send a photographer, a film crew, uh, when you guys start to, uh, you know, just kind of document what you're, what you're doing? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, if you, yeah, if you want to stay in touch and, and we can talk about that some more, but yeah, that would be great. Pref- yeah. Preferably not like our very first time, you know, going out and trapping, but uh, yeah, it'd be <laughs> great to have you guys out. And uh, I did want to say, I don't, I want to make sure I'm not like claiming all of this is my research. This is a, a big collaborative effort. Um with Kansas Parks and Wildlife, with the Turkey Committee of Kansas Parks and Wildlife. And also, you know, if you get a chance to talk to, to Dave Hocus, he's also uh, really spearheading the, the larger effort for this research project throughout the state. Um, so I know I know I was the, the lead author on the, the NWTF grant, but he's kind of the lead on the uh, lead PI on the overall statewide project. So um, it might be good for you to t- talk to him as well a little bit about it, but yeah, we, we'd, we'd love to have you guys out there and, uh, pick your brain and, um, yeah, make sure that, that the, the work that's going on and that you guys are funding is getting highlighted and, and getting disseminated. So absolutely. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. And, um, yeah, we'll definitely stay in touch and just as far as like that and some logistics, I'm, uh, hoping to send this article to you and Kent um here shortly and uh feel free to make any edits or if there's anything i missed or if there's something i mischaracterized please feel free to put any red ink on it or just let me know um we originally had it scheduled to go live this week but we're not going to publish it next week so there's not a huge rush but um you know i'm excited to share this and you know this is a new project so i'm sure i guess you don't have any photos and stuff like that so we'll probably just end up using like some stock imagery to uh to accompany it but um yeah, looking forward to sending this to you to you guys and uh, and get it out to the masses. Absolutely great, and you know I I don't know if I iterated or I don't know if I said this really very well earlier, but you know we really appreciate what you guys are doing. I think a lot of times you know when you you're doing one of these really large studies like this on any wildlife, you know there's you've got these birds that are marked. There's it's really expensive, you know, to, to, to get all the transmitters, to get all the gear, to get out and trap them. Um, and the, the state has been great to work with, but, you know, it, it also like, is this, there's like this one, you know, there's this opportunity to, to get out and get more information on these birds, you know, and it's this fleeting opportunity because, you know, you kind of got to get out there when you have birds marked, when you've got poults that you can actually go out and find on the ground. Uh, so I really appreciate you guys contributing this funding to to really allow us to get out there and and look at this critical period and and just you know add that 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 piece of information that that's going to really I think make this study for more of just oh this is poult survival this is adult survival this is you know nest success to to really look at what's going on. Um, within that that life stage so thank you very much yeah absolutely i mean that's that's something that you know our our members and um you know everybody that's part of the nwtf block is that's something they rally behind is when there's a decline you know we want to figure out what's happening and and reverse it and so this is this plays a huge aspect into it so 
you know, I, I'm one of many people who, who supports the decision to, uh, to support this research as well as uh, some of the other investments that we make. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited as you are to, to, you know, help hopefully combat the decline. And uh, it's all good stuff. So I appreciate it as well, Dr. Solens. All right. Thank you very much, David. I really appreciate it. Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com conservation. Hey guys, this is Aaron with The Hunting Public. Each spring we head to the woods chasing turkeys and one overlooked product that we use religiously is Sawyer permethrin. We've used it for years to keep ticks off of us and it's worked extremely well. We don't like messing around with Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, anything like that. So I would highly recommend if you're a spring turkey hunter spending any time in warmer climates in the outdoors to use Sawyer permethrin. Learn about their advanced insect repellents and family of technical lightweight water filters at Sawyer.com. Hey y'all, I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you. 